Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of The World of Percy Jackson. In this episode, we're going to read chapters 19 through 20. And in the last episode, we read chapters 17 through 18. And we get to see a bit more about Hazel's backstory and what happened to her and her mother. Unfortunately, Gaia has been on to them since the beginning. And since Alaska was known as the land beyond the gods, all they could do was fend for themselves. We also find out that Hazel's mother hadn't been treating her this way, the rude way, because she chose to, but because she was forced to by the voice, basically, Gaia. And they're able to clear these misunderstandings before they collapse together in the cave. Although it is still unclear as to how Hazel had survived and also skipped a few years of where where she is now, we also find out that Frank and Hazel have some time together and when Hazel, uh, comes back to the present after flashbacking to the past. Um, We find out that Frank and Hazel are together and that Percy has left to go do something. But in the meantime, as Hazel and Frank are spending some time together and chatting with each other, Hazel is mysteriously kidnapped while Frank is knocked back by a mysterious hurricane wind, strong wind, I should say. So now we're going to read chapter 19 to find out exactly where Hazel is, was taken, and how Frank and Percy will find her. So chapter 19, Hazel. Hazel was an ex-expert on weird. She'd seen her mother possessed by an earth goddess. She'd created a giant out of gold. She destroyed an island, died, and come back, came, come back from the underworld. But getting kidnapped by a field of grass? That was new. She felt as if she were trapped in a funnel cloud of plants. She'd heard of modern-day singers jumping into crowds of fans and getting passed overhead by thousands of hands. She imagined this was similar, only she was moving a thousand times faster, and the grass blades weren't adoring fans. She couldn't sit up. She couldn't touch the ground. Her sword was in her bedroll, strapped to her back, but she couldn't reach it. The plants kept her off balance, tossing her around, slicing her face and arms. She could barely make out the stars through the tumble of green, yellow, and black. Frank's shouting faded into the distance. It was hard to think clearly, but Hazel knew one thing. She was moving fast. Wherever she was being taken, she'd soon be too far away from her friends to find her. She closed her eyes and tried to ignore the tumbling and tossing. She sent her thoughts into the earth below her. Gold, silver. She'd settle for anything that might disrupt her kidnappers. She felt nothing. Riches under the earth. Zero. She was about to despair when she felt a huge cold spot pass beneath her. She locked onto it with all her concentration, dropping a metal anchor. Suddenly, the ground rumbled. The swirl of plants released her and she was thrown upward like a catapult projectile. Momentarily weightless, she opened her eyes. She twisted her body in midair. The ground was about 20 feet below her. Then she was falling. Her combat training kicked in. She practiced dropping from giant eagles before. She tucked into a roll, turned the impact to a somersault, and came up standing. She unslung her bedroll and drew her sword. A few yards to her left, an outcropping of rock the size of a garage jutted from the sea of grass. Hazel realized it was her anchor. She'd caused the rock to appear. The grass rippled around it. Angry voices hissed in dismay at the massive clump of stone that had broken their progress. Before they could regroup, Hazel ran to the rock and clambered to the top. The grass swayed and rustled around her like the tentacles of a gigantic undersea anemone. Hazel could sense her kidnapper's frustration. Can't grow on this, can you? She yelled. 
Go away, you bunch of weeds. Leave me alone. Shiss, said an angry voice from the grass. Hazel raised her eyebrows. Excuse me? Shist! Big pile of shist! A nun at St. Agnes Academy had once washed Hazel's mouth with lye soap for saying something very similar. So, she wasn't sure how to respond. Then all around her rock island, the kidnappers materialized from the grass. At first, they looked like valentine angels. A dozen chubby little cupid babies. As they stepped closer, Hazel realized they were neither cute nor angelic. They were the size of toddlers, with rolls of baby fat, but their skin had a strange greenish hue, as a chlorophyll ran through their veins. They had dry, brittle wings like corn husks, and tufts of white hair like corn silk. Their faces were haggard, pitted with kernels of grain. Their eyes were solid green, and their teeth were canine fangs. The largest creature stepped forward. He wore a yellow loincloth, and his hair was spiky like the bristles on a stalk of wheat. He hissed at Hazel and waddled back and forth so quickly, she was afraid his loincloth might fall off. Hate the shist, the creature complained. Wheat cannot grow. Sorghum cannot grow, another piped up. Borley, yelled a, throat, yelled a third. Borley cannot grow. Curse the shist. Hazel's knees wobbled. The little creatures might have been funny if they weren't surrounding her, staring up at her with those pointed teeth and hungry green eyes. They were like cupid piranhas. You mean the rock? She managed. This rock is called Schist? Yes, Greenstone, Schist! The first creature yelled, Nasty rock! Hazel began to understand how she'd summoned it. It's a precious stone? It's valuable? Bah! said the one in the yellow loincloth. Foolish native people made jewelry from it. Yes, valuable? Maybe. Not as good as wheat, or sorghum, or barley. The others chimed in, calling out different types of grain. They circled the rock, making no effort to climb it. At least not yet. If they decided to swarm her, there was no way she could fend off all of them. Here, Gaia's servants, she guessed, just to keep them talking. Maybe Percy and Frank weren't too far away. Maybe they'd be able to see her, standing so tall above the fields. She wished that her sword glowed like Percy's. The yellow di- diapered cupid snarled. We are the carpoy, spirits of the grain. Children of the earth, mother, yes. We have been her attendants since forever. Before nasty humans cultivated us, we were wild. We will be again. Wheat will destroy all. No, sorghum will rule. Barley shall dominate. The others joined in, each carpos cheering for his own variety. Right. Hazel swallowed her revulsion. So, your wheat, then you and the yellow, um, breeches. Hmm, said wheat. Come down from your schist, demigod. We must take you to our mistress's army. They will reward us. We'll kill you slowly. Tempting, Hazel said, but no thanks. I'll give you wheat said Wheat, as if this was a very fine offer in exchange for her life. So much Wheat! Hazel tried to think. How far had she been carried? How long would it take her friends to find her? The carpoy were getting bolder, approaching the rock in twos and threes, scratching at the schist to see if it would hurt them. Before I get down, she raised her voice, hoping it would carry over the fields. Um, explain something to me, would you? If you're grain spirits, shouldn't shouldn't you be on the god's side? Isn't the goddess of agriculture a serene- Evil name, 
Barley wailed. Cultivates us, Sorghum spat. Makes us grow in disgusting rows. Let's humans harvest us. Pah! When Gaia is mistress of the world again, we will grow wild, yes. Well, naturally, Hazel said. So this army of hers, where you're taking me in exchange for wheat, or barley, Barley offered. Yeah, Hazel agreed. This army is where now? Just over the ridge. Sorghum clapped his hands excitedly. The Earth Mother, oh yes, she told us. Look for the daughter of Pluto who lives again. Find her, bring her alive. I have many tortures planned for her. The giant polyboats will reward us for your life. Then we will march south to destroy the Romans. We can't be killed, you know, but you can. Yes. That's wonderful. Hazel tried to sound enthusiastic. It wasn't easy, knowing Gaia had special revenge planned for her. So you, you can't be killed because Alcyonius has captured death. Is that it? Exactly, Barley said. And he's keeping him chained in Alaska, Hazel said. At, let's see, what's the name of that place? Sorghum started, Sorghum started to answer. But wheat flew at him and knocked him down. The carpoid began to fight, dissolving into funnel clouds of green. Hazel considered making a run for it, but then wheat performed, holding sorghum in a headlock. Stop! He yelled at the others. Multi-green fighting is not allowed. The carpoid solidified into chubby cupid piranhas again. Wheat pushed sorghum away. Oh, clever demigod, he said. Try and trick us into giving secrets. No, you'll never find the lair of Alcyonius. I already know where it is. She said with false confidence. He's on the island in Resurrection Bay. Heh, <laughs> we sneered. That place sank beneath the waves long ago. You should know that. Gaia hates you for it. When you thwarted her plan, she was forced to sleep again. Decades and decades. Alcyonius. Not until the dark times was he able to rise. The 1980s, Barley agreed. Horrible, horrible. Yes, we'd said. And our mistress will still sleep. Alcyonius was forced to bide his time in the north, waiting, planning. Only now does Gaia begin to stir. Oh, but she remembers you, and so does her son. Sorghum Clyde cackled with glee. You will never find the prison of Thanatos. All of Alaska is the giant's home. He could be keeping death anywhere. Years it would take you to find him, and your poor camp is only days. Better you surrender. We will give you grain. So much grain. Hazel's sword felt heavy. She dreaded returning to Alaska, but at least she'd had an idea where to start looking for Thanatos. She assumed that the island where she had died hadn't com- been completely destroyed, or possibly had risen again when Alcyonius woke. She had hoped that his base would be there, but if the island was really gone, she had no idea how to find the giant. Alaska was huge. They could search for decades and never find him. Yes, we'd said, sensing her anguish. Give up. Hazel gripped her spatha. Never, she raised her voice again, hoping it would somehow reach her friends. If I have to destroy you all, I will. I am the daughter of Pluto. The carpoy advanced. They gripped a rock, hissing as if it were scalding hot, but they began to climb. Now you will die, we promised, gnashing his teeth. You will feel the wrath of grain. Suddenly there was a whistling sound. Wheat snarl froze. He looked down at the golden arrow that just pierced his chest. 
Then he dissolved into pieces of Chex Mix. And that's the end of chapter 19. So that interaction was definitely a very interesting one, especially the last page. That was a very, that was a very uh, interesting threat saying uh, how you'll feel the wrath of grain. So, I mean, with people with allergies, that's a, that's a very, that's on another story. But yeah, for people with grain allergies, uh, that's a bit sad. But yeah, so I think for Hazel, I mean, good for her. The fact that she was able to escape and that she was still able to like fend herself off for until like, I think Frank may have come now hearing how the end, uh, the last sentence was how an arrow had just pierced through one of the um, Cupid goblins, I'd like to say. Um, Cupid piranhas, as Hazel likes to say. Um, I definitely, I think that the way that Hazel was able to keep up with, like, trying to, like, find where Alcyonius is, and the fact that she also has an impossible idea where she is will probably help them a lot. And it's possibly true that Alcyonius is still there, because if we remember from the previous chapters, I believe there's some kind of, um, uh, there's some kind of thing there in that cave that Hazel's mother had to give up her life force for, a life source for, in order for Alcyonius to wake up. But since they didn't, she didn't give that life source to Alcyonius, um, it's still possible that his origin could still be there and that the island didn't really crumble or didn't really harm the source of Alcyonius's awakening within that island. So we'll have to see about all of that. We'll have to see how exactly Frank and Percy possibly uh, and per- Piper will, uh, I mean, sorry, Hazel will all fight against the um, these Cupid piranhas. And if they actually get more details, if they're able to ha- hold some of them hostages. So after this break, we'll read chapter 20 and we'll see where it goes from there. So see you after the break. And we're back from the ads, and now we're going to read chapter 20, Hazel. For heartbeat, Hazel was just as stunned as the cardboy. Then Frank and Percy burst into the open and began to massacre every source of fiber they could find. Frank shot an arrow through barley, he crumbled into seeds. Percy slashed Riptide through sorghum and charged toward millet and oats. Hazel jumped down and joined the fight. Within minutes, the cardboy had been reduced to piles of seeds and various breakfast cereals. Wheat started to reform, but Percy pulled a lighter from his pack and sparked a flame. Try it, he warned, and I'll set this whole field on fire. Stay dead, stay away from us, or the grass gets it. Frank winced like the flame terrified him. Hazel didn't understand why, but she shouted at the grain piles anyway. He'll do it. He's crazy. The remnants of the carpoy scattered in the wind. Frank climbed the rock and watched them go. Percy extinguished his lighter and grinned at Hazel. Thanks for yelling. We wouldn't have found you otherwise. How'd you hold him off so long? She pointed to the rock. A big pile of schist. Excuse me? Guys, Frank called from the top of the rock. You need to see this. Percy and Hazel climbed up to join him. As soon as Hazel saw what he was looking at, she inhaled sharply. Percy, no light. Put up your sword. Schist! He touched the sword tip, and Riptide shrank back into a pen. Down below them, an army was on the move. The field dropped into a shallow ravine where a country road wound north and south. 
On the opposite side of the road, grassy hills stretched to the horizon, empty of civilization except for one darkened convenience store at the top of the nearest rise. The whole ravine was full of monsters. Column after column marching south, so many and so close, Hazel was amazed they hadn't heard her shouting. She, Frank, and Percy crouched against the rock. They watched in disbelief as several dozen large hairy humanoids passed by, dressed in tattered bits of armor and animal fur. The creatures had six arms each, three sprouting on either side, so they looked like cavemen evolved from insects. Jejenis, Jejenis, Hazel whispered. The Earthborn. You've fought them before? Percy asked. She shook her head. Just heard about them in Monster Class at camp. She never liked Monster Class, reading Pliny the Elder and those other musty authors who described legendary monsters from the edges of the Roman Empire. Hazel believed in monsters, but some of the descriptions were so wild, she had thought that they must be just ridiculous rumors. Only now, a whole army of those rumors was marching by. The Earthborn fought the Argonauts, she murmured, and those things behind them, centaurs, Percy said. But that's not right. Centaurs are good guys. Frank made a choking sound. That's not, that's not what we are taught at camp. Centaurs are crazy, always getting drunk and killing heroes. Hazel watched as the horsemen sat, uh, cantered past. They were human from the waist up, Palomino from the waist down. They were dressed in barbarian armor of hide and bronze, armed with spears and slings. At first, Hazel thought they were wearing Viking helmets. Then she realized they had actual horns jutting from their shaggy hair. Are they supposed to have bull's horns? She asked. Maybe they're a special breed? Frank said. Let's not ask them, okay? Percy gazed farther down the road, and his face went slack. My gods. Cyclops. Sure enough, lumbering after the centaurs was a battalion of one-eyed ogres, both male and female, each about ten feet tall, wearing armor cobbled out of junkyard metal. Six of the monsters were yoked like oxen, pulling a two-story tall siege tower fitted with a giant scorpion ballista. Percy pressed the side of his sides of his head. Cyclops, centaurs, this is wrong. All wrong. The monster army was enough to make anyone despair, but Hazel realized that something else was going on with Percy. He looked pale and sickly in the moonlight, as if his memories were trying to come back, scrambling his mind in the process. She glanced at Frank. We need him. We need to get him back to the boat. The sea will make him feel better. No argument, Frank said. There are too many of them. The camp. We have to warn the camp. They know. Percy groaned. Reyna knows. A lump formed in Hazel's throat. There was no way the Legion could fight so many. If they're only a few hundred miles north of Camp Jupiter, their quest was already doomed. They could never make it to Alaska and back in time. Come on, she urged. Let's... Then she saw the giant. When he appeared over the ridge, Hazel couldn't quite believe her eyes. He was taller than the siege tower. Thirty feet, at least with scaly reptilian legs like a Komodo dragon from the waist down, and green-blue armor from the waist up. His breastplate was shaped like rows of hungry monstrous faces, their mouths open as if demanding food. His face was human, but his hair was wild and green like a mop of seaweed. 
as he turned his head from side to side. Snakes dropped from his dreadlocks. Viper dandruff. Gross. He was armed with a massive trident and a weighted net. Just the sight of those weapons made Hazel's stomach clench. She'd faced that type of fighter in gladiator training army and training many times. It was the trickiest, sneakiest, most evil combat style she knew. This giant was a supersized Retiarius. Who is he? Frank's voice quivered. That's not... Not Alcyonius, Hazel said weakly. One of his brothers, I think. The one Terminus mentioned. The Grain Spirit mentioned him too. That's Polyboats. <clears throat> she wasn't sure how she knew, but she could feel the giant's aura of power even from here. She remembered that feeling from the heart of the earth as she had raised Alcyonius, as if she were standing near a powerful magnet and all the iron in her blood was being drawn toward it. This giant was another child of Gaia, a creature of the earth so malevolent and powerful, he radiated, he radiated his own gravitational field. Hazel knew they should leave. Their hiding place on top of the rock would be in plain sight to a creature that tall if he chose to look in their direction. But she sensed something important was about to happen. She and her friends crept a little farther down the schist and kept watching. As the giant got close, the cyclops went broke ranks and ran back to speak with him. She was enormous, fat, and horribly ugly, wearing a chainmail dress like a muumuu, but next to the giant, she looked like a child. She pointed to the closed-up convenience store on top of the nearest hill and muttered something about food. The giant snapped back an answer as if he was annoyed. The female cyclops barked an order to her kindred, and three of them followed her up the hill. When they were halfway to the store, a searing light turned night into day. Hazel was blinded. Below her, the enemy army dissolved into chaos, monsters screaming in pain and outrage. Hazel squinted. She felt like she'd just stepped out of a dark theater into a sunny afternoon. Too pretty, the cyclops shrieked. Burns her eye! The store on the hill was encased in a rainbow, closer and brighter than any Hazel had ever seen. The light was anchored at the store, shooting up into the heavens bathing the countryside in a weird kaleidoscopic glow. The lady cyclops hefted her club and charged at the store. As she hit the rainbow, her whole body began to steam. She wailed in agony and dropped her club, retreating with multicolored blisters all over her arms and face. Horrible goddess, she bellowed at the store. Give us snacks. The other monsters went crazy, charging the convenience store, then running away as the rainbow light burned them. Some threw rocks, spears, swords, and even pieces of their armor, all of which burned up in flames of pretty colors. Finally, the giant leader seemed to realize that his troops were throwing away perfectly good equipment. Stop! he roared. With some difficulty, he managed to shout and push and pummel his troops into submission. When they'd quieted down, he approached the rainbow-shielded store himself and stalked around the borders of the light. Goddess! He shouted, come out and surrender. No answer from the store. The rainbow continued to shimmer. The giant raised his trident and net. I am Polyboats. Kneel before me so I may destroy you quickly. Apparently, no one in the store was impressed. A tiny dark object came sailing out the window and landed at the giant's feet. Polyboats yelled, grenade! He covered his face. His troops hit the ground. 
When the thing did not explode, Polyboats bent down cautiously and picked it up. He roared in outrage. A ding-dong? You dare insult me with a ding-dong? He threw the cake back at the shop, and it vaporized in the light. The monsters got to their feet. Several muttered hungrily. Ding-dongs? We're ding-dongs. Let's attack, said the lady Cyclops. I am hungry. My boys want snacks. No, Polyboat said. We're already late. Alcyonius wants us at the camp in four days' time. You Cyclops move inexcusably slowly. We have no time for minor goddesses. He aimed that last comment at the store, but got no response. The lady Cyclops growled. The camp? Yes. Vengeance! The orange and purple ones destroyed my home. Now my gasket will destroy theirs. Do you hear me, Leo? Jason? Piper? I come to annihilate you. The other Cyclops bellowed in approval. The rest of the monsters joined in. Hazel's body, whole body tingled. She glanced at her friends. Jason, she whispered. She fought Jason. He might still be alive. Frank nodded. Do, do those other names mean anything to you? Hazel shook her head. She didn't know any Leo or Piper at camp. Percy still looked sickly and dazed. If the names meant anything to him, he didn't show it. Hazel's pondered what the Cyclops had said. Orange and purple ones. Purple, obviously the color of Camp Jupiter, but orange. Percy had shown up in a tattered orange shirt. That couldn't be a coincidence. Below them, the army began to march south again. But the giant polyboats stood to the one side, frowning and sniffing, sniffing the air. Sea God, he muttered. To Hazel's horror, he turned in their direction. I smell Sea God. Percy was shaking. Hazel put her hand on his shoulder and tried to press him flat against the rock. The lady Cyclops, Ma Gasket, snarled. Of course you smell Sea God. The sea is right over there. More than that. Polyboats insisted. I was born to destroy Neptune. I can sense. He frowned, turning his head and shaking out a few more snakes. Do we march or sniff the air? Magasket scolded. I don't get ding-dongs. You don't get sea god. Polyboats growled. Very well. March! March! He took one last look at the rainbow and case store, then raked his fingers through his hair. He bought out three snakes that seemed larger than the rest with white markings around their neck. Next. A gift, goddess. My name, Polyboats, means many to feed. Here are some hungry mouths for you. See if your store gets many customers with these sentries outside. He laughed wickedly and threw the snakes into the tall grass on the hillside. Then he marched south, his massive Komodo legs shaking the earth. Gradually, the last column of monsters passed over the hills and disappeared into the night. Once they were gone, the blinding rainbow shut off like a spotlight. Hazel, Frank, and Percy were left alone in the dark, staring across the road at a closed-up convenience store. That was different, Frank muttered. Percy shuddered violently. Hazel knew he needed help, or, or rest, or something. Seeing that army seemed to have triggered some kind of memory, leaving him shell-shocked, they should get him back to the boat. On the other hand, a huge stretch of grassland lay between them and the beach. 
Hazel got the feeling the car boy wouldn't stay away forever. She didn't like the idea of three of them making their way back to the boat in the middle of the night. And if she couldn't shake the dreadful feeling that she had, if she hadn't summoned that schist, she'd be a captive of the giant right now. Let's go to the store, she said. If there's a goddess inside, maybe she can help us. Except a bunch of snake things are guarding the hill now, Frank said. And that burning rainbow might come back. They both looked at Percy, who was shaking like he had hypothermia. We've got to try, Hazel said. Frank nodded grimly. Oh, any goddess who throws a ding-dong at a giant can't be all bad. Let's go. And that's the end of chapter 20. I do believe, I think my one my theory about this convenience store is, I'm pretty sure it might be, it might belong to Iris. Because, you know, Iris, I believe, is the goddess of rainbows. And I believe, you know, Iris messages as well. So it, it is possible that it is her store because, you know, of the rainbow stuff and how the giants were showered with multicolored blue bruises. So I do believe, I think that might be a possible theory on who the convenience store belongs to. And it, it's also, um, it's also possible about, like, how many more armies is Gaia making up? Like, if that's, if that's the only army, which I don't think that's possible, but if that is the only army, then I don't think that, I mean, with the help of the gods, they probably will have a chance, just like in the Titan War. But if there's more and more armies, like, getting ready in, like, different parts of the country... Then that's where it starts getting a little more concerning. But I do believe that, you know, with the help of um, Camp Jupiter and possibly Camp uh, Half-Blood, if these two come together and are able to find, I think the reason why, I mean, this is the entire purpose of the prophecy, right? Because I do believe that Jason lost his memory and Percy also lost his memory for a reason and they were both sent to each other's camps because they wanted to make peace and bring these two camps together. Because at the moment, they're at odds with each other. So they usually either avoid each other or kind of have a civil war with each other. So I do believe that the, the prophecy was there so that the two camps can be united. Because it, it does seem to me that Gaia is definitely stronger than Kronos. Which I do believe that because Gaia is the mother of Kronos. So... So, she might be a bit more on the powerful side. But, yeah, I do believe that the prophecy was meant to explain that these two camps should come together with the help of the gods. And when all three of these parties come together, they're able to finally be Gaia and possibly put her away for good. Um, Not even, like, possibly, like, eternal slumber. Not even, like, she can never come back from her slumber. So, we'll have to see about that. Um, We'll have to see how exactly... Um, what what happens between the trio and the um, the store if they're treated the same way, if they're also thrown a ding-dong at, and um, if Iris potentially lets them into the uh, convenience store. And yeah, we'll, read, we'll see next week uh, on how this goes. I do apologize if some of my pronunciations weren't accurate. Um, I will try my best on improving on them. And if you enjoyed today's episode, my um, and if you do wish to support me, my Patreon is linked in the bio of this podcast, and I w- that would be much appreciated. But also, thank you a lot. Thank you, all of you guys, for listening to today's episode. So until next week, stay safe and stay out of boredom.